Welcome to episode three of Gaming with Gage, your podcast for role-playing games and the periphery. Thanks for being here. This episode is very exciting for me because I got the chance to chat with Shane Hensley, CEO of Pinnacle Entertainment Group, author extraordinaire, and creator of my personal favorite game system, Savage Worlds. Now, I hope you're not getting tired of hearing about Savage Worlds because I love it, and full disclosure, I gush a bit in this interview. I was super nervous to talk with Shane, but he was such a nice guy, and we had such a great chat. They're up to a lot of exciting things over there at Pinnacle, and they just launched the Flash Gordon book, so if you haven't checked it out, I suggest you do. So, you know what? Without any further ado, let's just get straight into episode three with Shane Hensley. <laughs> um, I wanted to obviously talk to you about Savage Worlds, um, but first and foremost, let's start with some of the beginning stuff, which is uh, you got your start in the role-playing game community and all of it with Torg, right? It wasn't a uh, publication for Torg? That's correct. And now you went back to Torg. I just want to touch on that briefly because I know a lot of people were very excited about your work with Torg this last couple of years. Um, I did go back to Torg. I, I'm, I'm done with it now. My job was to uh, rewrite the core rule book and kind of relaunch it. Mm-hmm. And I did that and then uh, came back to work uh, you know, for my company and on, on our stuff. I never stopped, of course. Yeah. But my focus was primarily Torg for um, a good two years. While I also did some video game work and uh, Pinnacle stuff, so it, it's been a it's been a busy couple of years. Yeah, I, that was one of the things when I was looking at all of the stuff you've done. It's like he really doesn't sit still. Nope, not much. Because <laughs> um, we play uh, we play Savage Worlds, and then so when Torg was coming out and your, your name was attached to it partially, I looked at it and it was kind of interesting to see. It's obviously a very different system, but there's a little bit of similarities there where you can kind of see inspiration going back and forth. With the, yep. the new rewrite. Um, so, Deadlands came first, correct? As far as RPGs go, yes. Okay. Our first actual pinnacle product was Fields of Honor, which was a historical miniatures game. Yeah, I just heard about that uh, today when I was doing my research, and that looked incredible. Yeah, it, it, uh, Chameleon Eclectic sold it for us. We didn't have contacts with the distribution or any or stores or anything like that at the time. And uh, it sold out and did really well. Um, and then I had this idea for Deadlands and started working on that. But bef- somewhere around the same time, we published The Last Crusade, which was my friend John Hoppler's World War II collectible card game. That was back when CCGs were, were all the rage. Yeah. And uh, that was our first three products. And you've gone back to those two kind of, I would consider them kind of like touch points of the the Savage Worlds line as well. It's like the, the Wild West and then kind of uh, the World War II, the Weird War type line. Uh, it's kind of two of the main points. Well, I certainly have a, a great interest in history. One, I, I'm a, I have a double major in political science and history. Oh, wow. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a history nut and I love it and... You know, being able to to mix the fantasy that I also love with it is a is a dream come true for me. So, I'm working luck. I'm working on convincing uh, my group to play Weird Wars uh, next. We're playing uh, East Texas University right now. Oh, that's fantastic! Those guys did a great job. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's so amazing. Actually, I'm talking to Ed later in the week about it because I just, I'm obsessed with it. Ed's a fun guy. Is he? Yep. Love playing with him. Yeah, if you hit any of the uh, Texas conventions, you're likely to run into him. He runs quite a bit down there. 
and is, is just a blast to play with. So if you ever get the chance, do it. Oh, I definitely will. We're actually, my wife and I are moving in about a year and a half uh, to Louisville, Kentucky for my job, uh, my day job. Uh And I'm also very excited because being in Louisville, it's such a centralized location. It's like there's so much cool stuff in uh, Indiana and Chicago and Texas. Like it just gives me a more centralized location on which to play. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited about that. Um, So, okay. So I guess I have this question. I'm full disclosure. I'm newer to gaming. I've only been gaming for about two and a half years. I was one of those kids who always knew that I was going to like it, but I didn't have the the friend with the books and the knowledge of how to run it for me. I sure. Couldn't, couldn't find anyone else to do the homework <laughs> until I was in my 20s. Um, and now I look at it, and it's this crazy world, and it's probably not the same world as, as you guys saw when you were coming up and creating all of these amazing things. But I look around, and I go, what possesses someone to create a new system which you did a bunch of but you know savage worlds is the flagship as of 2003 i think right yep so when you're looking around and you're seeing all these because there's a lot of great games out there savage worlds is my favorite savage worlds is what i play but what made you sit down and go okay this is something i have to make well when we started with deadlands the the truth was i mean there was no open license at the time so you couldn't use the d20 system even if you wanted to but I wouldn't have wanted to. I mean, besides, you know, like most people like uh, enjoying creating my own system, uh, D20 and D&D, while I enjoyed it greatly for what it was supposed to do, I never thought it fit well with much else. Um, you can't really do the outlaw Josie Wells with D20. No. Uh, if those were, if, if he, if the man with no name is a high level character and those were high level threats against him, they would be gunning each other down for 20 rounds before anybody died. Yeah. So <laughs> I've always said you can't do guns in D20s, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and you know you can include it and come up with critical hit rules and stuff, and some people have done that pretty well, and, and some haven't, but um, it just wasn't, it wasn't a fit for the vision of the game that, that we had in mind. So um, we had a few core ideas, and I think the rest of it just kind of sprang up around that. And then the evolution to Savage Worlds, oddly enough, came from a miniatures game in between. Great Rail Wars was the Deadlands miniatures game, and it was kind of a boiled-down version of the system. Mm -hmm. And after we we played it and ran it and really enjoyed it for a couple of years, um, I thought about trying it for uh, a World War II game, a Weird War II game, that we experimented with, and that went pretty well. So uh, it just kind of grew from there. And then, oddly enough, since you asked about systems, and I mentioned D20, D20 kind of killed us. We did Deadlands D20, and and we sold a lot of that. But the D20 uh, bobble Mm -hmm. really, and then the subsequent crash, of course, really hurt a lot of us in the mid-tier, especially those of us who didn't embrace it or, or, or really do a lot with it which you know, is as much our fault as anybody's. There's no, no blame here. But uh, that kind of killed Deadlands and other, other you know, rifts and GURPS, and all of us took a big hit, hit at the time because everybody was playing D20. But that also freed me up to do something new, and that's where, since I'd been playing the Great Rail War system with all these other things, we decided to do Savage Worlds, and I kind of thought it would be the last game I'd make, and then I was going to go off and do something else, and it took off. Now, there's a lot in commons with the original Deadlands rules, and then you did Deadlands Reloaded for Savage Worlds. 
Um, and then you mentioned riffs. You guys have riffs now. Um, yep. Is there anything Savage Worlds can't do? Um, well, obviously, I'm pretty biased, so you <laughs> can take it with a grain of salt, but uh, I don't think so. I mean, I run very loosey-goosey horror adventures with a lot of role-playing and hardly any die-rolling, and I run super crunchy miniatures battles and Marvel superheroes. In fact, one of the most fun games I've run in the last couple of years is Midnight Suns versus Justice League Dark. So it's like um, Doctor Strange leads Man-Thing and Satana and Ghost Rider and the horror characters of Marvel versus Doctor Fade and Swamp Thing and the horror characters <laughs> of DC. And it's just this big PvP battle with some cool little twists and stuff. And it's a blast. And those are all big four-color characters. Oh, yeah. So it's uh, you know with a lot of powers, a lot of abilities. And we have people who've never played the game before after a round or two of this big battle are getting into it and they understand the rules and all their powers. So to me, no, there's nothing it can't do. All right. Well, I, I do tend to agree with you. Even So I guess we're both a little biased towards Savage Worlds. I think I think one of the things that comes up sometimes, though, is when people are trying to, to do dungeon crawls with it, It uh, I think there's, there's two aspects to that. One is the typical dungeon crawl, because we're all used to D&D, is an ablative hit point system. Mm-hmm. So you're you're kind of managing the resources from the start of the crawl to the end, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're eroding your pile of hit points to the end. Yeah. Savage Worlds doesn't work like that. We boil it down and tighten it up to where it's just your bennies and your wounds. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think it does dungeon crawls just fine. It doesn't necessarily replicate D&D dungeon crawls because we intentionally weren't making a D&D system. But I also I've seen a few hacks out there by people who do uh, who want a hit point system for for that kind of dungeon crawl, and and I think that would work just fine. It's not something we've done yet or really explored, but yeah. you know that to me there's 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 two approaches there, right? It's it's do it the Savage Worlds way, and that's that's what we would recommend, <laughs> or change the setting rules and change the way damage works or something or hit points. Which I that's the only thing I could see. I I am a much uh, more free form. DM as well. I could see, I know, I know some DMs in the community uh, like a little more control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've seen some people who, especially when they're very new to Savage Worlds, running Savage Worlds for the first time, who talk about uh, like the exploding dice and exploding damage and that they can never predict how uh, combat's going to go. And I could see that being a, a bad thing for some people. But to me, it's like exploding dice. I, was, I had an interview recently. We were talking about this. And it's like exploding dice in Savage Worlds is like crack for a gamer. Yeah, there's, there's a, I mean, we could do a whole segment just on this. I will try to boil it down kind of quickly. Um, when people say, especially game masters say that they can't predict how long their bad guys are going to last, like their big boss or something, you know, to me, that's a strength, not a, a weakness. But, you know, if it's really a problem for them, there are numerous ways that have been recommended around it. For example, in Flash Gordon, we have a setting rule. Um, that limits wounds to four. You, you can never take more than four wounds from one hit. So it still means you can die in one hit, right? Yeah. But you only have to soak against four, which is a whole lot different than soaking against you know, seven or eight if somebody gets that crazy damage roll. Oh, I've done that to my players. Yeah. So you know, there's an option. And to me, that depends on the genre of the, of the, the setting that you're trying to replicate. Mm-hmm. So for Flash Gordon and things like that, which are you know, very heroic pulp, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, uh, the other aspect with the exploding dice is, you know, we, again, we, we see it as a feature. We, 
there was um, I've said this before, but when we when we first created Savage Saturday Night uh, at an Origins after uh, an Origins award thing one night, there were a whole bunch of us together, and we just said, "Hey, let's sit down and and we'll we'll draw randomly and play in each other's games, so we're not sitting with the same clicks, and you know we're we're, we're having some new experiences and stuff, and that was a lot of fun." Mm-hmm. But on the way to finding a room that would hold 20 of us that was open at that time of night, we passed by a room full of um, players for another game system that I won't name. And we're just doing audio, so you can't see me, but it was a very, very quiet room where everyone was holding their sheets in front of their faces, studying every little modifier and uh, detail. Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuck with me because... When I, uh, I went to the bathroom at some point and I saw that again and I came back into our room and every table was looking at the other just glaring intensely because they were so loud and screaming and yelling and whooping because <laughs> everybody was rolling aces and doing cool stuff. And, and it was rowdy. Yeah. So I want to be the rowdy room. I want to be the room where people are having fun and, and having these great memories. And and that's one of the things about Savage World. You know, it's uh, Fast, Furious and Fun, I know, is your tagline, but it really... Um you really feel it when you start playing it um, and you feel the fast side, excuse me, as a game master, because I don't do the same type of preparation. I'm like the first time I ever ran a game was Uh 3.5. And yeah, I I had to sit there and I had to map everything out and come up with every single piece of every single small thing to be able to, to, to run it, what I would consider effectively. When I go into uh, like a game at East Texas university, I'm concentrating on, Mm -hmm players and plot. Because at the end of the day, if I don't know what this bad guy has, I can just roll a D6 somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that was exactly our goal. So that, that makes me very happy to hear that. <laughs> How, and then the other thing is, um, so I, I obviously, I, we talked about exploding dice a little bit. I want to talk to you about bennies a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the bennies are like amazing. Before we ever played Savage Worlds, uh, we had heard a podcast playing Savage World. I don't know if you know Gamer's Table. Um, sure. And the idea of bennies was so amazing that before I could get enough clout to move my game over to Savage Worlds, which I ended up doing, we introduced to our D&D game a system of Buckies, <laughs> which were, uh-huh. they were D4s, but we used them the same way you would use Bennies, except that you got to add the D4 to any check. That's great, yep. But it was that concept of this is, you know, me and one of the other guys who runs a lot, we're sitting going back and forth on how do we get these games that we hear about? How do we get people playing in character? How do we get people not afraid to do cool things? How do we reward people doing good things? And then we found Savage Worlds and the Benny system. So was that like one thing where it started off as like, oh, this is just a way so that you don't die? And then it just turned into this bigger thing? So this is one of those things, you mentioned Torg earlier. This is one of those things that that came from Torg. Uh, In Torg, you can spend possibilities to soak damage and reroll or to add dice. And with Benny's, uh, there, were, there were really multiple reasons we wanted something like that in there. First off, is something tangible that you can reward players with at the table for advancing the plot, doing something clever, um, or just making everybody laugh and have a good time, right? And to me, that's just incredibly powerful to reward that type of behavior. I mean, I used to play a lot of GURPS before, and I love GURPS, great game, but it didn't have anything like that, right? Yeah. And uh, one of my friends would just do the most incredible clever things and I didn't have anything to really hand him or do for him other than you know hand him a compliment so I love having this in-game physical thing you can put in someone's hands and say good job buddy yeah 
And then secondly, I think it's it's critical in today's games, you know, somewhere between a narrative game like Fate or something and the crunchy games like, like D&D is where Savage Worlds lives because the dice are still going to determine a, a large part of the story, and, that, and that's the way we like it. Um, but when, when something's important to a player, he's got multiple chances to, to influence it. And also, just by spending them, he's kind of telling the GM, this is really important to me, and it's not just lip service, right? Yeah, I can't. One of my, yeah, one of the, the issues I've had with Fate in the past, and again, love it, great game, is the very persuasive players in real life often kind of run the table and can have their way with things while the quiet players, uh, you know, may not, may not have as great a time. Yeah. But since the dice can speak for them, especially if the, the dice explode, you know, quiet player can really shine sometimes. And then she can spend those bennies. I say she, because I'm thinking of my wife who is traditionally a fairly quiet player, but she loves to play. And, um, you know, when the dice explode and she can throw a few bennies onto something, that's a uh, that really works for her, right? And it it just it empowers her more than I think just just encouraging her to do so verbally, which of course we do as well. And then of course, keeping your you know your butt from getting fried when it's important yeah. is also critical. And it's um it's kind of our way of having that ablative hit point system I mentioned before. It's just in bigger chunks. Yeah, we um with these sixes. It's funny you say that about your wife. Uh, my wife and my best friend's wife play with us. Mm-hmm. And I felt like when we used to play D&D, they would get a little unsure because D&D can sometimes feel like there's a right way to do things. Um, you know, your fighter goes up front, your rogue sneaks around, however it works out. And in Savage Worlds, uh, especially since we've been playing East Texas University, so much of that game is about uh, college students being college students. Yeah, uh, And the Benny structure has been incredible because the two of them now have this moment where they get an actual physical reward that says, hey, you're doing well in the game when one of them's playing like a rich, stuck-up socialite and she's getting bennies just from being catty, catty, catty and just tearing apart other players. Um, And then the other one's playing like a shy girl who does like weird things. So she'll automatically just, she'll spend 20, 30 minutes not saying a word and then when she finally has her character saying something in-game, it always leaves the the, uh, other players in stitches. Right. And that's kind of what you're, what you're talking about with that thing of what Benny's really exactly do well. It. Yeah. And, you know, she can, your, your wife could be the caddy socialite all through the game, but if the XP doesn't come to the end of the game, you know, it's just not quite the same reward as that instant gratification that, that a Benny or, you know, a fate point or adventure point or, or whatever in, in different games provides. Yeah. And you, you also, you kind of get the, uh, the Benny race is what I kind of call it, which is when you're playing the game and someone does something that's hysterical and they get a Benny for it. And then everyone else kind of gets that like perk up, like I want a Benny. And now all of a sudden your session gets this really like fun energy and momentum as everyone's trying to kind of like be funny and be crazy and be in character and trying to earn Benny's going back and forth. That's right. And you know, something else I've seen too is some GMs worry about players having too many Bennies. And the truth is, there's there's two reasons why that that very rarely is an issue. I think. First off, uh, the players will spend bennies on the strangest things. I remember one mm-hmm. time, and, and I'm guilty of it as well. We were doing a big dungeon crawl one time, and I was playing a, a rogue, a thief, and I wanted to open this uh, chest that 
I had already decided was trapped, but I was going to be cool and avoid the trap. And I just wanted to show the rest of the party what a great thief I was. The trap was just going to make me um, fatigued or shaken or something very minor. It didn't matter. But I kept failing the roll. It was pretty hard. So I spent, I don't know, four or five bennies just to show everybody what a cool thief I was. Right? It wasn't going to hurt my character in any way, but it was important to me. And that's why I, I think they're so great. And the second reason that I, I don't worry about you know, the Benny economy, unless it's low, actually, is one of the takeaways that I had from Torg, which, again, is, is one of my favorite games of all time, is that unless something's really hard, if you spend a possibility, you're going to succeed because it adds. It's an additive system. With Benny's, it was really important to me to just let you re-roll. So if something is really hard... You know, your odds of success are still not great. You have to get lucky and get the ace on the die. But that way, even with a stack of bennies 10 high, and I've had, I've seen them 20 high. I'll tell you why in a second, because, uh, you know, people can still fail. Mm -hmm. So the 20 high at Chupacabra Con, what they often do, they raise money for charity there. Yeah. And people can buy bennies at a buck a piece. Oh, that's cool. And it all goes to charity. Yeah. So uh, a, a great guy named Rich Spainauer down in Texas, he bought 20 bennies for the game and he sat them there and, and he used them and he still died at the end of the game. I think <laughs> <laughs> he still made it to the end. And the funny thing is like Benny's kind of lend themselves to, I use Benny sometimes in games like possibilities, but not on big world ending stuff, but it's like, Oh, I want to go see that guy I was talking to earlier. And it's like, okay, you go to a shop and it's like, all right, we'll look around and see if you see him. And I've had players be like, can he just be there? And I'd be like, you know what? If you really want to speed up, if it's really important for you in this moment of the story that this person is here or you find this baseball bat there, if you want to spend, a, if I'm, more, if they ever get high in Benny counts, uh, sure. then I'm like, if you want to give me a Benny, you can have it. You yep. can spend it right now and keep going. Yeah, we, we think that's great. We're all for it. <laughs> uh, and we have a little bit of time left. So I wanted to, I saw something in an interview that you did with, who was, I think it was with Ross. Um, and you were talking about like the biggest detriment to role-playing games right now is that there's not enough stuff that's targeted towards kids. And so we're sl like slowly aging out. Um, and it's, it's also one of those things. It's like, it's getting it in front of kids. Cause I've seen most kids, you spend some time, you teach them the rules, you explain it to them and they get really into it. Yeah. How do you see like the, po what's the possible solution there? Like, how do we, I mean, cause I, I look at someone like Taylor Swift and the reason that Taylor Swift sells more records than everyone else is because she has a, you know, 12 to 16 year old fan base and they're very, very loyal and they drive an entire industry. How do you get those kids who have that passion and that excitement and can become lifelong gamers to really revitalize the whole industry? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a complicated one. I'll, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll just start thinking out loud here and we'll see where it goes. Okay. Uh, I would say, first off, I'm not the guy to do it. I have just, I have unfortunately just never had an interest in doing so. I play with my kids, and I, I certainly from the time they were old enough to talk and roll a die, and loved it, and loved playing with my kids. But I've never had any desire to write kids' stuff. And I think that's that's just a, a, a peccadillo of mine, because... You know, I've, I've had a lot of chances to write uh, novels and fiction, and I've written, you know, quite a bit of it, three novels and a whole lot of short stories. But I really prefer writing game material. I, I like writing, here's a situation, how will you deal with it? That mm -hmm. That's what I enjoy. And because that's my, you know, my real first love, 
it is going to be also in settings and subject matter that is a little darker, a little more mature, or you know, of a historical bent, like I mentioned earlier, that that I'm just into. Now, I think, uh, you know, the best-selling RPG of all time. Do you happen to know what it is? Uh, I have a guess, but I th- would think it would be wrong. Take a guess. My guess would be D and D. You are incorrect, according according to Ryan Dancy. Now, this this information is about ten years old when they did their survey. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe my information is dated at this point, but it's actually the Pokemon adventure game. Ah, uh, okay. So they did do a little RPG with Pokemon, and I don't know what the numbers are, but according to Ryan, he said it a couple of times, and again, this is quite a while back, it outsold uh, all D&D combined. So I suspect that a Marvel game, a DC game, a Pokemon game, something like that that introduces the concept of role-playing and, and is probably more of a narrative um, use-your-imagination style game mm-hmm. is is going to be the next big thing that gets a new generation into role-playing. However, I don't think the kind of role-playing they're going to be into is going to be the kind of role-playing that most of us are into. I don't think they're really going to have miniatures and battle maps and all kinds of that kind of stuff. I, I suspect we are the last generation of that. Yeah, my group has phased more into theater of the mind ourselves. Right. And I think what, what has replaced a lot of that tactical crunch is board games, mm-hmm. which is why one of the reasons why I think board games have become so successful. I think another reason why board games have become so successful is if I say, hey, Gage, let's start a new uh, ETU campaign. As excited as you might be about ETU, the problem is when I say campaign, that that in your mind and in our age group means an indefinite commitment, yeah. right? I mean, it's essentially eternal. <laughs> so who, who can, who can commit that kind of time these days at our age and with kids and jobs and all that kind of stuff. So even though that's not really true and especially in savage world, which is why we have plot point campaigns with a, you know, we, we picture them as about a six month game typically. Uh, it is just, it's that mental commitment of, man, I got to go every week and I have all these other things to do which is what makes board games great because people say, Hey, do you want to get together and play board games? And it's a one night commitment. Yeah. Right. So somewhere in that muddle of answer I gave you, I, I think you is answered the, the question. <laughs> I mean, it's gotta be something that's going to let kids use their imagination. That's the number one thing I see when they play. Mm-hmm. They don't really care about the dice or the rules. They just want to describe this awesome thing. Your character does, which is exactly what I let them do. They can say whatever they want. And then I have them roll the dice and interpret it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think for the, you know, they, they also love the toy factor when you have all the miniatures and stuff, but I've never seen them really inclined to get those themselves. But that's where, you know, a board game mix might come in. So I think a RPG board game mix with narrative elements is, is probably the thing that will get them. That's, that's where it's going to be next. That's what I think. Well, and I'd one so just one final question, cause I, if we are, we're almost out of time. Um, when you do a lot of licensing stuff and you've been looking at uh, other licenses, and I think because of your time in actually the video game world, you're, you guys are kind of in a unique position for you to actually be able to go and talk to people. Um, and I know sometimes there's been stuff that just hasn't worked out for you. Um, is there anything that, like, is that something that you would ever want to do for Savage Worlds more uh, more intricately? I think of like the way like the Dresden Files is with Fate and, and things like that. Uh, do you mean 
do more licenses or just yeah, more. do more with the licenses we already have? I mean, more like going out and taking like established properties and making the game of them. Well, you know, we've, we've done quite a few already. There's really only one that I regret missing out on and that's Conan. We, uh, when they were soliciting offers for Conan, I knew at the time I just couldn't produce the volume of material that they really wanted done for it. Uh, we did try to do it later with a miniatures game, a pre-painted miniatures game on Kickstarter that didn't work out. And that was with a, a different company I was a part of. But as far as getting more licenses for Savage Worlds, I think our, our focus for the next couple of years is going to be supporting all the stuff we've already licensed and continuing to come out with stuff in new and different ways for people to play with it. And then refocusing on our own licenses. Because we have, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's not been a Deadlands computer game, movie, or TV series yet. But behind the scenes, you know, we've been working out different options and we've got multiple scripts and doing all kinds of stuff for years. And when you're not actively um, pursuing your own worlds like Deadlands, those things tend to fade. We also just kind of, you know, to be to be completely honest, because we're, uh, we're, we're gamers just like everyone else with a thousand different interests, we kind of have a lot of the other stuff out of our system now that we wanted to do, to do. I think we're really pretty anxious to refocus on things like Deadlands and The Last Parsec and Rippers in the next couple of years. Awesome. Well, I look forward to that because I, I, I love everything you guys have been doing. The only, the only difficulty is getting enough time to play them all because <laughs> we're, you know, yep. we're on ETU right now doing the Degrees of Horror Plot Point campaign. Awesome. Um, I, just, I love all this stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go because I know you're super busy. Um, I want to say thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Um, is, there anything, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Um, no, I mean, if people are, are into Savage Worlds, we announced Savage Worlds Black. That's just the code name. It'll just be called Savage Worlds, but the, you know we call it Savage Worlds Black internally. And that's the, the next edition of the rule book. And just like all the others, it's really not a dramatic change. We've cleaned some things up made some things uh, a little better, added some of the stuff we've learned from all these settings we've been doing into it. Mm-hmm. And you should see that early 2018. I'm super excited. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Gaming with Gage, where we sat down with Shane Hensley. As usual, all of the products mentioned in the show can be found in the show notes with direct links to those websites. Whether or not you want to check out uh, Savage Worlds, the Flash Gordon book, all of that type of stuff, GURPS, we put all of those links in there to try and make it easy for you. Uh, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It's the best way to get in touch with us. We also have links for our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website in the show notes. That's the best way to get in touch with us and let us know what you're thinking. Uh, If you have any questions, concerns, comments, areas of improvement, whatever it is, let us know through there. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And we'll be back next week with another topic episode. And I believe that one will be, for all of you people, a little nervous about tipping your toe into the DM pool. Thanks, guys.